all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy for Women, where we address issues of health and wellness and add our woman's perspective. Um, Today's topic is actually something that is more common among women, but also affects men as well. Um, We are kind of focusing today on um, eating disorders, um, and we are joined by our expert, Dr. Liz Woodruff, who's been with us once before. We're so glad to have her back. Um, and she is a licensed psychologist and certified family-based therapist. So this is this is actually going to be a show where we can address issues holistically, right? If there is a person, you or someone that you know or love or um, are familiar with who is struggling with an eating disorder, or even if you suspect that may be a problem for them, um, this is actually going to be a great show for you because we're not go- just going to address the issues as it pertains to the people who are having the problems themselves, but for those people around who can be a source of support, um, encouragement, um, and also to kind of talk about some of the struggles and challenges that that caregivers uh, have. Dr. Woodruff is also, um, she's relatively new to, um, to Mississippi, um, and, but she is here for good. And she will have the, um, she's been a mover and shaker. I mean, she kind of hit the ground running, got here, got a husband, got a great job, kept her practice going and, um, and has really started, um, creating opportunities for, um, people who struggle with emotional wellness, um, to be able to gain the tools that are necessary to to fight and to overcome those issues and also to provide support for those people around them. So again, we are so glad to have Dr. Woodruff with us. And without further ado, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. A little bit nervous, but you know, I, I'm rolling rolling with it. Um, are I'm you excited to be back. This is your second, your second show. You're a veteran now. This like it, it's a piece of cake, right? I know. And I eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff, but there's something about being on the radio. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I always thought it would be worse to be on camera because it's supposed exactly. to add like 10 or 15 pounds, right? Um, but I uh, know. So, um, yeah, so good to have you. Happy New Year. I guess I can still kind of say that. So I said all through January, if you haven't seen somebody in the New Year, you can say Happy New Year. So Happy New Year to you. Um, and we are so glad to have you back. Um, gosh, you've been doing. So what else been going on since we saw you last, since we heard from you last? A lot's been going on. Um, you know, we've been in the middle of a pandemic, but despite that, I've been, I have been moving and shaking. Um, so joined Mindful Therapy, which is a, a therapy clinic here in the Jackson area. Um, and I've got a group of wonderful therapists that I work with and we are not really in the office together yet, which has been really tough. I've been very sad. But they've been supportive over text message and phone calls and Zoom calls. Uh, And so I am the eating disorder specialist there. The other folks address other types of issues. So um, folks who are having postpartum stuff or infertility issues, basic anxiety and depression, you know, mood disorders. Um, There's a lot of grief work that goes on in our clinic. We really run the gamut. Um, But I'm the I'm the kind of lone eating disorder person uh, who's in the clinic. And so I've been with them for a number of months now, um, and just really getting going here in Mississippi. So, you know, I moved back in April of 2020. Um, and again, in the pan, in the middle of a pandemic is a little bit of a strange transition time. Um, so it's been slow moving in terms of getting my practice going here in that regard. I've still been seeing folks, um, in the state in California where I moved from, I'm still licensed there, but I'm really slowly, but surely kind of phasing out of that. And, and, taking on the Mississippi folks who need, who need help. So that's been really exciting and fun. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I would like to just give the number out one more time. Our phone lines are open and 
we're able to take calls. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We're so glad to have this service available to, um, to the people of Mississippi. There are, we have a lot of health challenges. Um, and so with diabetes and hypertension, things of that nature, while people may not um, necessarily embrace having the label of having a chronic medical illness or a medical problem, what we do find is that there's a lot less stigma around being hypertensive um, or a lot less stigma around having asthma or something like that compared with um, what we what we struggle with with mental health um, and also specifically in your world um, of eating disorders because this is really one of those areas where it it's treated like and and many people feel like it's it is a a dirty secret um, and since you have been with us last I think there are there have been a few so we all know that celebrities we always raise our eyebrows when we see the, the, the wafy little people coming in who are like skeleton, just like skin over, over the skeleton. And we always wonder whether or not those people may, we, we use anorexia or what have you when they're very, very thin trying to live up to this, this unrealistic and unhealthy ideal. Um, so we are a little bit more familiar with that, but recently um, another celebrity has come out and talked about her, battle with bulimia. Mm-hmm. And and she actually said that for her, um, it wasn't even about weight or a number, but it was about her, it was a, a coping mechanism uh, to deal with all of the many stresses that she had placed upon her because of her responsibilities um, right. as a celebrity and, and how she felt unable to get through the day without be without inducing vomiting or making herself vomit so bulimia when they actually eat food or will binge and then purge right and how she said that that was so like it became essential to her getting through the day she could Mm -hmm. not consider making it through the day without doing that and that was a way that she felt like it gave her a little bit more control over what was going on around her mm-hmm. um, and I just as I was reading that story I thought it was really interesting to hear the reason why because many people would make assumptions um, that this was all about weight or about a number um, and in some instances it is about um, an emotional attachment to food and consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this particular case, she said, yeah, it didn't matter. The number didn't matter. She's like, I wasn't ever worried or obsessed about the scale. Mm-hmm. But when, but when I, when I would go and purge, I felt like I kind of had more control. It made me feel better about all of these things that were going on. And it actually, actually was the way that I got through from one day to the next. And so this concept of something that is is unhealthy, um, that starts to kind of take over or take control of, of our lives, and then to have the fear of actually, A, number one, somebody figuring it out, or B, when you realize something's got to give up. I've got to change this. And that is the way that you cope. I can only imagine how terrifying that must be for a person to pull back from something that has really kind of become a source of security. Even if, even if it's not the healthiest approach, Mm -hmm. it has become the thing that gets them through. Um, So I'm so glad that you're here doing this work. I am sure that there are many people who are under the sound of our voices who know someone or who are struggling with this. Um, and, you know, on this show, one of the things that we really try to do is kind of shine the light in the darkest of, mm-hmm. of spaces mm-hmm. um, because people need to to know and, and to feel like they're not alone. And, and to, we need to, the only way you get rid of this stuff is to stop letting it be the dirty little secret that you hide away. Um, or and to take some of the shame away and just kind of help to educate people. So thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said about shining the light in the dark places. And, you know, I think 
in the darkness is where the pain and the shame grows and breeds. And when we shine light on it, we, we make space to destigmatize and to actually start these conversations and help people make changes. So the show is so important. And you're absolutely right that there's, you know, it, what is it that medical issues are so much less stigmatized? It's so much easier to say I have hypertension or I struggle with, with weight issues, even though that I think there's plenty of shame in that too. But um, there, there's, it's so much easier to discuss medical issues than it is psychological issues. And frankly, they're easier to treat, right? I mean, if you have hypertension, take a pill or, well, you know better than I do the treatments for those sorts of things. But, you know, the medical stuff is so much more concrete and straightforward in terms of treatment, in terms of how to tackle it. And we have more of a cultural dialogue around those things, right? But when it comes to mental health and psychological illness, uh, we don't have a, a great language for it. And there is immense stigma about it. And so you're right. There's, And I think last time I was on the show, you mentioned a friend of yours from many years ago who had bulimia and you had no idea for, for many, many years, right? Yes. I was, I, you know, it's funny. I thought about that this morning and I said, well, we talked about that before, but yeah, it was, I was totally oblivious right. um, during the time that it occurred. And, and, you know, now we talk very freely and openly about it. Um, but as a person who was a friend, um, a, a very close friend, I felt horrible that yeah. someone so close to me was was going through such a difficult emotional time because I feel I'm for my friends I'm a ride or die kind of girl like yeah. I am there thick and thin if we're friends you're stuck with me and <laughs> and look whether you want to be loved or not you're getting it uh-huh. and so um you know but to know that there was someone so close to me who was suffering so much and yet I never knew. And I think, you know, people feel that way when they find someone in their in their lives who maybe takes their life from severe depression or whatever. And people say, oh my gosh, I, you know, how could I have missed it? Um, But it, yeah, so, but the other part is what I had to do was say, oh my gosh, how could I not have seen that? But at the same time, it wasn't about me. And, you know, just talking to her and saying, I hate that I couldn't that I didn't know or that I didn't notice anything or that I was I couldn't have been there for you. But just to say, hey, if if you ever get to a place like that again and you ever feel that way, like you can always tell me. I I wouldn't judge you and and we will do whatever we need to do to get you through what you're going through. And I think that that was the I guess transformative experience for me once I got over my friend guilt. <laughs> right, because yeah. like oh. making me tear up a little bit. Like she's she's very lucky to have you, and and yet, and I bet she knew that about you. I mean, from one fellow ride or die to another, you know, I'm sure that she knew that she could count on you, and you were going to be non-judgmental and a great friend. And yet, you know, she still hid this. And my guess is she hid it from everyone. And and that's another thing that's really common among folks with eating disorders is this presentation of like perfection and I've got it all together and I don't have any emotional issues, you know, and, uh, and inside just this, you know, this inner turmoil and the, the, the bigger that discrepancy between what you're showing on the outside and what you're experiencing on the inside, the more you turn to your eating disorder to kind of cope with that. So it's like this vicious cycle that can happen. Right. And so there's, I think on top of that, there's a lot of fear among loved ones, um, to name these things or to ask about it. Uh, so I think loved ones, parents, siblings, friends, family members are often afraid to say anything as well or to ask about it. Maybe they're afraid they'll make it worse. Maybe they'll afraid, they're afraid they'll embarrass someone or maybe they're just afraid to find out the truth. You know, sometimes it can be really scary. Uh, maintaining denial can feel kind of safe sometimes, right? Absolutely. So we have a caller on the line. Oh, one of our good friends. We're going to hear from Sue, who's calling us from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. How you girls doing today? <laughs> hey, Sue. Hey, Happy New Year to you. How are you? Well, thank you. I'm doing fine. And, and I, I want to make a comment because they, TLC has three shows. On, uh, one's called My 600-Pound Life. Mm. One is uh, my, The Thousand Pound Sisters. And one is the... Um, my, my big, fat, fabulous life, but you don't see any shows on there about bulimics, and they're all eating disorders. 
Why do you suppose mm-hmm. it, so? It, it, it's kind of like a hidden disease, right? It's bulimia mm-hmm. and problems with anorexia. Why don't you see any shows about that? Is it, it is is it as prevalent as obesity is? Right. That's a great question. So first of all, no, anorexia and bulimia aren't as common as, and I would actually say, you know, in terms of eating disorders, you've got anorexia and bulimia, and then you've also got what's called binge eating disorder. So not everyone with weight issues has binge eating disorder, but a large percentage of people with weight issues have binge eating disorder. So I've, I've not seen any of these shows. I, I've certainly heard of them. Um, and I think I might have seen one like many years ago that was a different one, you know, there's a few of them or the biggest loser or, or, you know, these types of shows that are focused on weight loss. So first off, I would say that, yes, a lot of these people probably do have a psychological disorder, right, that that leads to overeating as a me- mechanism to cope, which the side effect of that might be obesity. Um, it's a much higher percentage in the population of binge eating disorder than than anorexia or bulimia. I also think kind of culturally, we have such an obsession with weight loss. And so there's this real like fascination and drive to see people who are really large or overweight lose weight. And, and the, the opposite is not true. We don't really seem to be concerned about, you know, seeing people who have anorexia and watch them gain weight or seeing people with bulimia stop binge eating. So I think there's some kind of cultural issues that we have as a society around weight that um, these shows, I would imagine, and I might be wrong, Sue, so correct me if I am, but I would imagine these shows don't focus as much on the psychological piece of this. And they focus more on just like, wow, they lost 400 pounds or, you know, whatever, 200 pounds, whatever it might be. They're so amazing. And they don't follow these folks after the show is over. And the likelihood that they're going to gain this weight back is really high if the underlying emotional and psychological struggles aren't really um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like strongly addressed. So it, again, if the, if this is an actual eating disorder that's causing the weight gain, it's got to be addressed from a mental health standpoint. So, um, I so these shows, I think there's a real fascination with the the transformation part physically, but they're not addressing the psychological part. And Sue, maybe that's because we we still have so much stigma around mental health issues that people don't want to hear about that. They don't want to see about that. They just want to see a concrete physical change. That's my, that's my hypothesis, but I don't know. I could be wrong. What do you think, Michelle? No, I think, you know, that makes actually a lot of sense. Um, I, I think sometimes we can be, cause it, um, you're talking about TV, right? And not, I, I haven't watched a couple of those shows, but I have seen that my 600 pound life. Mm-hmm. And that one I think is focused primarily on those people who undergo weight loss surgery. So they get to a point where they've been, they are morbidly obese and are limited to the point in many instances where they don't leave the house or their lives are so greatly um, inhibited by their weight that they kind of go through a process to determine whether or not they are candidates for a bariatric surgery or some kind of surgical intervention. Then they come in and, and so you see them come in, you see them have the conversation with the physician who will sometimes occasionally, he's the surgeon, he sometimes talks about um, the, the psychiatric portion of it, but it is always like a couple of sentences about their mental status mm-hmm. to determine whether or not they, you know, are good candidates or what have you, and then talk about what they have to do to really keep it, the weight off afterwards. But yeah, you don't see the intense psychotherapy right. and, and you are so spot on because when people see me, they sometimes, they say, oh, she's thin which, you know, whatever. But as a kid who grew up heavy or chunky or whatever you want to say, um, like it is amazing to me how much of that little girl is still in, in me even now today and how the, the experiences, the traumatic experiences and the positive experiences that she had then still impact my perception of how I look and how I feel about myself today. Like those things don't go away. And, and so there's, there's trauma and, and other things that are kind of wrapped up in this. And we do a terrible disservice to these people if we don't address that part, because you can show up and be skinny on the outside Mm -hmm. and still be 
obese are large on the inside because the transformation that your body undergoes doesn't necessarily happen intellectually, mentally at the same rate. Um, And I think we miss the boat when we don't focus on being more intentional about the emotional and psychological piece, just as much as, oh, you're not supposed to eat that, or, oh, you need to exercise, or, oh, you need to do that. So um, that is a so great discussion. We have to take our, our break. Um, so we'll take a quick break and we will hop right back in and talk about this exciting event that you have coming up and give folks a little bit more information about disordered eating. Sounds good. Phone lines are open. Stay with us, guys. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. listening to Southern Remedy for Women, where we address issues of health and wellness and at a woman's perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and I am joined by Dr. Liz Woodruff, who is an expert in eating disorders. Um, And she has relocated from California over here to the MI Cricket Letter Cricket Letter, and she has brought with her all of her expertise um, on um, eating disorders. She, um, oh my gosh, you are currently working at um, Mindful Therapy, right? Yes. Yeah. She is with Mindful Therapy and um, is the lone expert in eating disorders. So um, we had a great start to the show, just kind of going over some um, general definitions about some of the more common things that we know about eating disorders. And um, we have a caller on the line. Um, so we are going to go directly to... Jim, who is calling us from Hattiesburg. Good morning, Jim. Hi, Jim. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Doing well, ma'am. I wanted to say, uh, just reiterate what you were saying, honestly. I I had an eating disorder in college when I was an undergraduate, and I became very large um, as a result of stress eating and and those sorts of behaviors. And I... uh, went to the counseling center at my university and was enrolled in a mindfulness-based program that introduced me to meditation and other um, activities that allowed me to lose a significant amount of weight and really change my life. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Um, so, how? What was the focus? Of, so, it was really more focused on the uh, the emotional component. Yes, that that was the main thing. Is is uh, trying to um, understand emotions and not let them. Uh, it, I guess it comes from the Western version of the the Buddhist idea of noticing noticing that things are causing you to react in certain ways. And if you, if you get good at noticing it and you train yourself, then when you notice it, you don't react. Yes. So tell me this, Jim, when you first, when you first started there, um, did this like instantly click for you 
or was it something that you just kind of had to say, okay, I'm going with this for now. This sounds a little unusual. Like, was it something or did it just instantly resonate with you? No, I, I definitely had some, some of that, you know, like granola, you know, kind of prejudice <laughs> thing going yeah. on, but, but uh, mm. it, the proof was in the pudding. Yeah. Wow. 200 yeah. pounds. That's, that's great. Well, and, and mindfulness, you know, it's, I think the kind of the, um, the buzz term is mindfulness based stress reduction, but you know, anything that involves meditation, deep breathing, kind of slowing down, watching what's happening for you before you, you impulsively act, um, is so helpful. And I think culturally, especially men, and I, and I'm stereotyping here, I'm overgeneralizing, but I do believe it to be true that especially here in the deep South, right, that men are just not socialized to feel their feelings. They're not socialized to express their feelings, certainly. And so, but, but they have feelings. And so, you know, it, it, it precludes us, um, it forecloses on the ability to figure out what the heck to do with these feelings. And so when we don't learn coping mechanisms, we find quick side routes to manage these really tough feelings. And, you know, the transition, I'm actually, Jim, I'm really glad you mentioned college because that's actually one of the most, the second most common time for someone to develop an eating disorder is the transition to college or just that sort of young adulthood, whether it's college or somewhere else, but college is an incredibly stressful time. And so you'll see incidence rates skyrocket around that time. It's, it's really tough. And if you don't know how to cope and manage and you're out there all on your own without mom and dad or whomever it is to help you, you're going to look for something really quick to help you shove those feelings down. And food is, food is soothing. You know, we all use food to some extent, right. To cope and manage. I do. Um, it's just, it is soothing. And so when it becomes, when you become kind of a, a one, a one trick pony in terms of coping and you turn to food all the time, it's, it is soothing and, you know, it creates additional stressors and problems. So part of being an adult, I've learned myself is learning to let the feelings be there, experience them and move through them. But man, that is really, really difficult for all of us to do. Um, so it sounds like the meditation and the mindfulness stuff was really helpful for you, Jim, in terms of learning to sit with what you were feeling without jumping to food. And and in that space, you have a chance to think about other ways of coping. I would I would guess. Yeah, and may I say one more thing? Please. Uh, I I think there should be serious emphasis put on. Uh, making sure that when young adults get out of college or high school, that they're able to quickly uh, find uh, counseling resources in the real world so that there isn't a gap uh, between the, the counseling services offered by the education institutions and what they'll be offered by seeking it out on their own in the world. Um, I think that gap can be very problematic and it can mess with a lot of people. Absolutely. Really great point. Um, thanks so much for your call, Jim, and we hope the continued success um, on your journey. I, you know, the guys, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Um, you can shoot us an email. We got a lot of emails the last time Dr. Woodruff was on. Um, email to women at mpbonline.org. Um, while we may not be able to answer them um, in real time, we will allow our esteemed guest to get back with you um, as soon as possible with responses to all of your questions. Um, he made a really interesting point, and so I'm going to take it a little bit further because the first time that I ever heard about counseling for eating disorders um, was during a time when I was actually um, promoting our school, like doing, we, I was part of this ambassador program. We took incoming potential students and showed them the campus. And um, as we were doing that, uh, the counseling center talked about some of the services that they offered. So there was like educational um, support and then the counseling services and they specifically spoke about this. And I came from, you know, a very close-knit, what I would have considered a normal family. Um, but there was never a discussion between my parents and I about um, counseling services, like, because therapy wasn't a thing. Yeah. And to my knowledge, I didn't know anybody even in my community 
who sought counseling services or even I, I was totally ignorant of the availability of those services, et cetera. So the only thing that I knew was people said, and keep in mind, this is me in my high school ignorance space. You know, you go see a shrink if you got, you know, if something's wrong with you. And so it was all about psychiatry per se, um, and not realizing that, that counseling services were available. And so what I will say is that there are probably lots of kids who um, go to college and they may be first time college um first time college attendees in their family or whatever. And a lot of times people end up being somewhat limited because there aren't people who walked before them. Um, But one of the greatest things that you can do, I think, as a parent is to give your children permission. And, you know, when we say get help or seek help or whatever, just acknowledge that, like you said, college can be difficult. Um, They will have lots of influences that are not the same influences as they may may have had at home. And while all parents, I think, want their kids to come back to them with their problems, encourage and create spaces, give them the knowledge and the tools to be able to find other sources of support um, that may be outside of you that can be safe spaces for them. Um, So I would say just telling people, hey, you got counseling at your school that's available to you. If things get tough or difficult and you feel like you don't have anybody to talk to, then seek counseling services there. Um, and in in some communities, that can be really challenging. Um, but I think that that's something that a lot of times might not be on our radars. And if there is another human being that is out there in close proximity to your child who could give them the support or the encouragement and, and also the expertise to handle um, when they are having emotional difficulties, then absolutely you want them to have it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that would, that's just another pearl that came from, I mean, Jim basically said that, that, that Dr. Dr. Woodruff's plans work. Um, but the other part is, you know, let people know that they need to know that they're out there and that they're available. Um, and so mentioning to them, Hey, you know, what are the counseling services or do they have counseling services at your college? There are lots of high school seniors, juniors who are looking at schools. Um, While you're assessing their academic environment, think about the other support that is out there for them as well, because that will be sometimes equally as important to their overall success. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely speaking my language. So historically I worked I worked at Stanford and their counseling center. I worked at University of North Texas and their counseling center. Um, I have helped a lot of college students. And I didn't even know as an undergrad that we had access to free counseling. <laughs> so, And I was a psychology major, you know, as an undergrad. So, um, And then one other thing I would add to that, and it looks like we have a caller, so I won't be too long-winded here. But one other thing I would add is that um, intervening before it becomes a crisis is really important. And if we make safe spaces, both by saying, hey, when you go to college, seek out mental health treatment before you even have a major problem. If you're stressed about exams or you're having trouble making friends, whatever. But I think we can start even before then in the home with our kids to normalize distress, to normalize emotional struggles, not to approve of them and say, it's fine, but to say, of course, you're going to have trouble. I'm here for you. And parents, so I, you know, I'm a therapist and I have this expertise and I can treat people all day long and help them manage their feelings. But actually, parents have more of an impact than anyone else because of that neurobiological bond. So, you know, my I have a stepson. My husband, on his worst day, is going to be much better at emotionally supporting my stepson than I am on my best day. Because even though I, I have a really strong bond to him, the neurobiological piece is so important. So I just want to really reinforce that for parents that you have a superpower when it comes to supporting your kids. So don't hesitate to, even if you get it totally wrong, if you think they're upset, validate that. I can understand why you're angry. I can understand why you're scared. Life is hard. Life is stressful. So starting at home, I think is, is really important. And it's just not particularly intuitive for us to emotionally support our kids that, that readily. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad when you said that, um, and Mikey, we see you and we're, I'm going to get to you in just a second. But when you said validate that, so I will have to admit that I am totally not the parent I thought I was going to be. I'm way, way much, I'm a mush, mush, like I'm way <laughs> much in it. 
So yeah, so I'm not the parent that I thought I, I would be to my children. And one of the things that I found myself saying to them is, you know, when they are upset or angry, like I encourage them to share that. Like, so what is going on? If they, if they demonstrate some kind of behavior or they do something, so tell me what you're feeling. Okay, so I am so not a, a psychologist, but at least like encouraging that. And when they say something that might be viewed negative, if they say, well, I'm angry or I'm upset. And I'll say, well, why are you upset? And then when they say it, I'm like, so wow, that that would make me upset too. Um, and so, but but even though you are upset, then we go into yes. the teachable moment, right? Yes. Um, so, oh but it, how do we do that? How do we deal with that? And there are times when he'll, you know, my kids will say, oh, I'm I'm angry or whatever. And I'm like, oh, well, we get angry too. Mommy and daddy get angry. And when we get angry or when we feel frustrated, we have to find a way to work through that just like you do. And so helping them to understand that that anger is not necessarily a bad thing. It is natural. It's part of your responsiveness, being disappointed, being sad, all of those things. You should be able to feel comfortable saying that. You should be able to express that and that's not a bad thing to express those feelings but we need to do it in a way that is constructive as opposed to destructive exactly. um, and that's just but i'm telling you if you had asked me if i was going to be that parent i would have told you heck no i would have never been that parent i think you miss your calling as a psychologist <laughs> <laughs> no i think that's I amazing I'm i mean feeling very miserably at that but um <laughs> but i do feel like that's really important about you know, dealing with your feelings and acknowledging them. Um, and so we are going to go to our caller who is winning the award for being one of the more um, patient callers for today. Um, we're going to hear from Mikey from Mobile. Uh, hey there. Same old, same old real person as usual. Um, uh, I have been, been a long fat, time, Mikey. And I have it's been, been a long time. <laughs> I have also had people worry about me being anorexic in the past. And so far, I'm doing so good. Um, a couple of comments. Uh, one is concerning someone whom I knew in, in childhood, myself, from uh, about age 13 to um, graduation from high school, which at that time was 18. Um, and uh, she is now, or last time I saw her uh, at a reunion, was um, a psychologist at... A junior high school um, but unfortunately I have to express that I just talked with someone a, a couple of days ago that uh, also knew her during some of that time and had seen her recently and I've also talked with other people in the past um, uh, particularly uh, guys you know like the football guys because it was at that time it you know it was football like it's not football worship now, huh? Um, but uh, she was, and the la I, I just told him, I said, look, the last time I got to see her, I'd, I always thought the most and loved her so much because of her beautiful spirit and her beautiful generosity of spirit with everyone. But uh, she was so angry the last time I saw her. Um, and it seemed to be because she wanted to blame me for her being fat. Um, now, as I say, I have been fat. And the second point that I want to make is that I just spoke with a young man across the street who is not maybe, yeah, he's maybe 11, 12, but he's a big old guy. I mean, he's bigger than I am already. And, uh, you know, and that's a great thing for a lot of things. Um, but he was talking about how uh, confided into me that, uh, that someone had told him that he was fat. And I said, well, so what? Okay, so what? So if you are fat, so what? You know, I mean, I've got great family and great friends and um, have, you know, I mean, it's in my past. And in my present, and they're they're great people. So fat is just fat. Thin is just thin. But there's so much pressure 
um, particularly when we came to the anorexic, which was the anorexic sorts of the end of the last century um, and beginnings, um, with advertising. So anyway, that's my two cents, and that's probably all it's worth, okay? Thank you so much for um, your show and for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate those comments. Um, and, you know, w what I heard in that is just kind of, you know, who you are outwardly um, does not define you. And, you know, even on this show, we we have shows where we talk about aesthetics and plastic surgery and facials and all this other stuff. And And there is, like she mentioned, advertising, marketing, what have you. There's such an obsession with a certain ideal appearance. Um, and, you know, I've learned that that is not unique to women, that men have, men struggle with that as well. That's right. And those images that we see over and over can, we have to be very careful to not allow those images to create a narrative in our mind about what and who we should be. Um, and so I've been trying to work on my mindfulness and meditation because I like, I'm all about the impulse. I got like this huge amygdala and it just kind of drives everything. Um, so I have been working on this concept of the quietness. That's a COVID gift for me has been like trying to work on that because um, it's given me the space to be able to, to do that. Um, and, and I, I value people who are great at it because I am still kind of clumsy with it. It's not, it's not still not natural for me. Like I have to still work at it. Um, but, but I was, but, but the thing about acceptance, right. That is another part of it. Um, and this kind of, I guess I can throw the mothering thing that's helped me is like the, the concept of, of acceptance. And it doesn't mean that what you are today is all that you will ever be. But to still be able to be accepting of that person um, is is so important, and and being able to to love and appreciate who you are as a as an entire being, not just the shell that you are draped in, not just your mind, not just your body, but the whole complicated mess that we all are yes, um, and to be able to be accepting of that person yeah. is so important. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's kind of like the, the foundation mm -hmm. for building on to, to, to becoming the person, the, the person that we feel like we were made to become, um, you know, this, I think we're always evolving um, but to be able to accept where you are in your evolutionary process, mm -hmm. my husband laughs at me because sometimes he'll say, well, I think you should work on this. And I'm like, well, that's not on my top 10 right, list. Right. And that's not where you're at in your process. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what I'm working on this year. So maybe that'll, that'll move to the top of the list next year. But to be able to be accepting, we sometimes get to a point where we feel like the only things that are acceptable are about ourselves are those things that other people feel like are good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we live and, in a culture yeah. that that makes it very hard to accept who we are. I mean, I'm going to get on a really quick soapbox. <laughs> I won't go for too long. But, you know, we live in a world where there are very, very rigid, specific ideals of what's acceptable in terms of beauty, in terms of masculinity and femininity, right? And when you deviate from those, you're told you're not okay and you need to change that. And, and I think that there, there are many industries that feed off of that, right? They make money off of our insecurities and it's, and it's the system that just perpetuates itself. So it's really hard to accept who we are as we are at any given moment. And you're so right that it's, it's really vital that, that we do that. Um, so, I mean, I'm family therapy and parent coaching are two of my main approaches to this work because I do think it really starts, it has to start at a pretty young age. So I think what you're talking about, we can, we can help our kids with that. And media literacy is one thing I, I teach a lot, which is basically learning how to discern what is 
healthy media to consume and what's not. And I have a lot of my parents um, work with their kids on getting rid of, like on Instagram or TikTok, you know, getting rid of some of these influencers who promote unhealthy behaviors or just unhealthy standards. And it's hard to do that though. We can't really control what our kids are looking at and consuming, but trying to teach them about that, I think is really important. Yeah. It was so much easier when it was just a television with a certain number of channels, but like now it is, there is, there's television, there's, oh my gosh, that YouTube, there's YouTube, there's social media. They are getting information from so many different sources. Mm -hmm. It is, just incredible and and oh and ps there's still the television and there's streaming and all this other stuff now yep. um so yeah I do it with your kids three of them that that's gotta so, be <laughs> yeah i spend most of the time with my head under a pillow yeah, um, it's like i mean it's it's so and you feel almost helpless against the with this bombarding of information because i do have a little small control uh, freak streak where I'm like, no, I don't want my kids exposed. There are certain conversations I don't want to have to have to, with my children until a certain point in time. There are certain adult circumstances and situations that I don't want them to be exposed to until a certain point in time. And society's like, yeah, we're just going to throw it all out there. We don't really care. Whoever gets it, gets it. Um, and it just, it gives me chest pain. I'm, and now they're, they were going through this period where some people are homeschooled. And so we had devices and they're on the devices more. And and so, yeah, it's, and I don't want them in their small kitty minds to get those same, like I'm fighting to reinforce to them healthy imagery and, and to tell them every day that they are, they are kind and that they are, that they are beautiful and that they are handsome and that they are strong. And, you know, because the stuff that they get when they walk out of our doors um, may not always, may not always allow them to understand their value. And it may challenge them. And if they don't know that before they leave my door, I feel like I've left them totally vulnerable to whatever it is that they encounter. And I want to arm them with the ability to fight against or to push back on somebody who would say to them that they aren't beautiful or that they aren't handsome or that they aren't worth X or worthy or what have you. So, um, but it is, it's, it's not easy. It's Um, not at all. Which brings me to how you are planning to help. Um, you have an event coming up. Let's it's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give a quick sort of Reader's Digest version of the approach that I use when working with parents. And again, I do individual work also. So a lot of my work is individual with adults and kids who have um, eating disorders or, or some, some, you know, it doesn't have to be an eating disorder. It can be body image issues or, um, you know, it, just concerns about weight, that sort of thing. But so I, I use with parents, I use what's called emotion focused family therapy. And I also use something called family based therapy. I won't go into all the details, but effectively what I try to do is basically what I've been saying, help parents learn to support their kids healing, whether it's from a really serious eating disorder, like anorexia or just, you know, other emotional difficulties that they're having. They're getting bullied at school and it's causing self-esteem issues, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, we, it's, it's, there are a couple of strategies we use. One is helping parents learn how to emotionally support their kids. It is not intuitive for most of us. When my stepson is crying and really upset about having to tie his shoes, my instinct is to say, just tie your shoes or fine, just give me the shoes. I'm going to tie them for you. We got to get out the door, right? But what what is actually really effective is helping him understand what he's feeling, why he's frustrated, why he's upset. So that's that's a really benign example. But what I do is help parents learn when their kids are struggling with anything emotionally, how to show up for them, validate what they're feeling, um, support them. And then, like you said, then hone in on the practical stuff like, okay, this is what you're feeling, et cetera, et cetera. Now, how can we manage this? How can we cope with this? What do we need to do? So that's part of the approach. Um, and, and there are a number of other 
um, components to this. So what I'm doing is I'm leading a workshop with one of the creators of the emotion focused family therapy that I do. Uh, we are doing a workshop Thursday, February 11th and Friday, February 12th from 10 to four 30. It's a long two days, but the reason for that is because we bang out so much stuff and we will arm you with so many strategies and so many skills to help your kids. And you can also join this workshop if you're dealing with, with adult children. So it doesn't have to be kids who are 18 and under. Like if you're a parent of someone who's in their twenties or thirties and you don't know how to help them, um, this is for you also. And so it's a zoom event. So it's all online and, um, I'm going to give, well, gosh, I don't know how the, the link is really long, so I'm not going to be able, but if folks are interested, I would say either email MPB, uh, Southern remedy or Google Eventbrite. EFFT Liz Woodruff. So again, it's Eventbrite EFFT Liz L I Z Woodruff W O O D R U F F. And I'm really excited about this workshop. Um, I've attended a couple myself, and they're they've been pivotal, both for my own training as a therapist, but also being a being a stepmom. So um, if you're interested, we would love to have you join. That is fantastic. We would like so much. Please, if you're in our listening audience and you think that um, this would be something that resonated with you or this could be something that you or your family could learn from, please, please support Dr. Woodruff. Um, it will be fantastic for your family. Um, and it is one of the greatest investments that you can make. That said, Liz, we got about uh, maybe... A, a minute or so left um, in the broadcast. Any parting thoughts that you have for our listeners, um, some of whom I'm sure have eating disorders and who have not yet found the courage to um, to make the change? Right, right. You know, I mean, I think my biggest, um, my strongest message is that it's okay to need help. You know, that I really long for a day in this world when there isn't so much stigma. Everybody struggles with something. And so reaching out for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a massive sign of courage, in my opinion. So uh, let's let's all work together to destigmatize mental health and normalize seeking support. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Liz. This was great. The time has flown by. I don't even think we took all of our, our breaks. But anyway, today's Southern Remedy was produced and engineered by JY and Java Chapman. Um, I am Dr. Michelle Owens, and for me and Dr. Liz Woodruff, thanks for being with us, and join us next Friday at 11 on Southern Remedy for Women. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. Y'all stay safe.